This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's going hard. Hello and welcome to the Republic of Football show that's going to stop trying to guess whatever the hell's happening in this state every week. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson. Because um, The reason why I say that is because although we're kind of, you know, results-wise, we're kind of like, yeah, we kind of maybe predicted looking a uh, couple games, Rice looking at you, right? Um, UNT probably not in that fashion, you know, what we kind of predicted the, the, the style of game. Overall, I'm just going to stop guessing. I'm just going to stop guessing because what we maybe think was a good game, what we maybe think was a blowout, what we maybe thought at the beginning of the year when it came to narratives, nothing's played out like that, right? Nothing's played out like that at all. Um, and we're just going to jump into this. And this is another weird week, kind of across college football, but specifically in this state. Of course, our college football insider, Mike Craven, is on the other line, still just outside of Lubbock, Texas, from uh, being out there hanging with the Red Raiders. Mike, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. I am 50-33 against the spread, so I'm going to keep predicting what happens across the state. Thank you very much. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. And of course, everyone's over Mal Pal on the other line, Mallory Hartley. Mallory, how are you? Very good. Always good to be here. Yeah. North Texas won yesterday, so feeling pretty good. There you go. All right, so we're going to get a hint at it. We're going to get right to it. Right off the top, Baylor 45, Texas Tech 17. A game that I guess like, I don't know, it was weird. It, it started off Baylor absolutely in control, kind of I don't want to say swung the other way, but kind of hinted towards something, right? It was like, oh, Tech's showing some some little fight as, as Joey McGuire teams do. Uh, of course, Baron Morton goes out and Donovan Smith has to come in and he kind of gives you some Donovan Smithness, um, a, a little, little uh, some kind of cardiac uh, uh, episodes there. And then Baylor eventually pulls away. Baylor, I mean, Craven, you were there in person. Richard Reese is that dude. I mean, basically, Tech had nobody who can stop him. Um, Tech kind of threw really everything they had at, at Baylor, right? Baron Morton kind of had his worst game easily as, as so far. Um, I think Dave Aranda kind of salivated at the thought of playing against a freshman quarterback. Um, that Baylor defense that hadn't been making plays all year started making plays. And, you know, what did you kind of see unfold there? Because it was hinting towards, at least pregame, that like this was a big game for Tech, obviously Joey's first game against Baylor, and it could have been kind of like a season, I don't want to say defining, but like a season shifting back towards the, the swinging back towards positivity for Texas Tech. They're fine. They're going to be fine. Um, but it still felt like that a kind of result that could have really put another linchpin on a really good year for Joey McGuire. It was an opportunity missed, and Joey said that after the game. They have a sold-out crowd have a national TV spotlight. Patrick Mahomes is in the house, right? Mm -hmm. You go and you win that game. Micah Hudson, the top recruit in the state for 2024, is, you know, there dapping up with Patrick Mahomes and stuff like that. It, it was The moment was there. Yeah. There's 12 former assistants on Texas Tech staff that 
coached at Baylor mm-hmm. with Joey McGuire previously. Texas Tech wanted that game. However, Baylor needed that game. Dave Aranda got that job over Joey McGuire before the 2020 season. Those were the two finalists. He's now in his third year at Baylor. You cannot lose to Joey McGuire when McGuire's in his first year at Texas Tech, right? Or all that momentum in the new Big 12 starts to swing. What we saw yesterday is a team that has offensive and defensive linemen that have been in the program for three years and a team that does not. When you hang out with Texas Tech for any period of time, you notice that their offensive line and defensive line are just not as physically developed as a team like Baylor or even a team like Texas, a team like TCU. They are not as big as those teams. That's why Texas Tech hit the transfer portal so hard at the offensive line. Uh, It's why Matt Wells struggled so much over the last couple of years. They just have not figured out the trenches. When we went into the season, we said Baylor's offensive line and defensive line were the best two units in the state. Yesterday, they showed that. They had six sacks. Richard Reese, you know, ran for 148 yards and three touchdowns. But the thing that was most impressive to me was the the way that Baylor made Texas Tech play their style. For a long period of time yesterday, Baylor had almost doubled up Texas Tech in terms of plays. And this is a Texas Tech team that runs 89 plays a game. They only ran 73, and a lot of that was in the second half. Baylor ran 89 plays against Texas Tech. So uh, Baylor dominated the, the lines of scrimmage. They won the turnover battles. They won the middle eight. They did everything that coaches say is important to win that football game. Um, Texas Tech made a little bit of a run in the second half to try to keep it close, but but Baylor just had you know too many horses. They're just too much. They're too. They're further along down the road than what Texas Tech is. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a good way of putting it. I think <clears throat> for the first time in a while, and I think this was a credit to Baron Morton, um, uh, his his first couple starts, the Texas Tech off. We kind of remember why Donovan Smith was why we felt comfortable keeping Donovan Smith in there, even when Tyler Shuck was back healthy was because of that offensive line, right? It, it, yeah. it kind of reared its ugly head again. Baron Morton had to make some plays on it with his feet a little bit. He did decently for the most part, but you know, it, it just, he just definitely looked the most flustered he did so far. And again, credit to him the past couple of weeks. It's the first time that I've thought about the offensive line in a couple of weeks. Um, and I, again, I think that's just like, as bad as Baylor's defense has been this year, it's been, that's been, that's a thing where you just kind of realize, oh, right. That's one of the best defensive minds in the country going against a freshman quarterback. So, you know, he's, he's going to dial up some things. He's going to make sure that his guys are ready to go and fluster somebody a little bit. Um, So, you know, credit to Dave Aranda, like you mentioned, that's a good point that him and McGuire were the last two finalists and, I mean, knowing that McGuire obviously wanted to get one back on his team, um, but then obviously knowing that Dave Miranda had to prove that he was the right guy all overall. So, uh, yeah, that one was definitely uh, definitely a huge result and a huge win for Baylor. Okay, moving on to – all right, Mallory, I need to ask you, do you know how to bleep uh, audio? I can cut it out post-editing. Okay, because – North Texas 40, Western Kentucky 13. Um, make a note of that so you know what time it was. Because, all right, uh, what? <laughs> what in the world? Austin Ani, baby! Austin Listen, freaking Ani! They came out swinging. They came out absolutely like, I mean, I, I they where, where has this- that pass game been? Holy crap. 
he looked comfortable. Th- this was an Austin Ani game. Like he looked comfortable. They did not let Western Kentucky credit to the UNT defense. They did not let Western Kentucky really get anything productive on offense. Of course, they still threw for over 300 yards, but it was it did not. It felt like they had to earn every bit of that. He almost, I think, uh, Austin Reed had to throw like 40 passes to get there. It was, I mean, North Texas now solely in possession of second place. If they obviously if they went out, were they're destined for a rematch with UTSA because they did away with divisions this year in Conference USA uh, probably smartly now. Uh, probably with with actually I don't know about smartly. These are two teams that are not that are not going to be there next year, so I don't know if they're actually going to be happy about that. But um, regardless, this is this is a spectacular win and a spe- spectacular performance. We talked about UNT needing not even needing to win this game, but definitely not needing to let last week cascade and like let the result get to them and things like that. And then they come out absolutely just shut the door. So I don't know. I don't know what else to take from this other than holy crap, UNT. <laughs> I'm really excited because <clears throat> this almost guarantees another UTSA and North Texas rematch at the end of the season. Take care of business. That yeah. game was so exciting that I'm I'm honestly genuinely excited that that they came out and just beat the crap out of Western Kentucky because that almost guarantees that we get to see UTSA and North Texas again. So that's why I'm excited for that win. I'm going to try not to gloat too hard <laughs> here. Um, do y'all remember Do y'all remember when the train was just Seth Luttrell and I on the main green? <laughs> I say train. this every single week, every single week. <laughs> well, we're pulling up into a new stop on Monday if anybody wants to jump on because North Texas is a good football team. They've won nine out of the last 10 conference games, guys. I mean, they're... One of the best teams in Conference USA. They're they're on track to get a rematch with UTSA, as Mallory mentioned. Uh, they have the tiebreaker over Western Kentucky, so even if they lose one more, they still have a chance to get in there if things get a little bit weird. They're an FIU win away next week from being bowl eligible for a sixth time in seven years under Seth Luttrell. Um, so I, I don't know if enough can be said about the step forward of Austin Ani. We talk about Max Duggan and what he's done, but like Austin Ani, this is a guy who threw as many touchdowns as interceptions last year, and he has 23 touchdowns on the season right now. You know, he's he's been playing well. He, he's not going to be Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes or like some superstar quarterback, but he's cutting down the turnovers, he's being more efficient, and he's pushing the ball down the field in a way that he just was scared to in previous years. Now, some of that could be the health of the wide receivers this year compared to last year. They have a lot more uh, talent outside than they did last year. But, um, you know, if we move over to the defensive side of the ball, I was super impressed with the mm-hmm. mean green. That secondary can get got every now and then. Uh, the pass rush hadn't been too great. It's been kind of spotty here and there. Uh, but they won the turnover battle 2-0. Um, you know, they limited they limited Western Kentucky in the pass game, as Ish mentioned. They made them work for everything. You know, they had to throw a lot of passes and really push the ball around uh, to try to get anything done. So uh, a big win for North Texas. That loss against UTSA could have turned into two losses. That's the type of game that sticks with you. And to their credit, they didn't. They shed that the adversity. They go on the road and they beat a Western Kentucky team that we thought was the second best team in Conference USA. So, you know, jokes aside, hats off to Seth Luttrell and that North Texas team. That was an impressive performance. And it's been a pretty gutty, impressive season so far for them. Every time we're ready to kind of count them out and go, okay, here comes that North Texas team we worry about. The next week they tend to bounce back. And, you know, that's on coaching and that's on the culture inside of that room. It's why that group was able to go, you know, five game winning streak last year to recover from one and six. Mm-hmm. They have a good culture and didn't. They believe in each other. They play for each other. Um, you know, if they play UTSA again, I'd imagine they feel pretty good about their chances. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to beat a good team twice. I always say that. So it should be either way. It should be a good game between the two. Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the development of Austin Ani. I think that's a great, similarly to Max Duggan. And I, I wonder when that turning point was for this staff with Seth Luttrell, you know, after you come off the Mason fine years and you come off the, the, the Graham Harrell offense and, uh, who's the coordinator? Bodie Reader. They tried to do something with Bodie Reader as well. Obviously didn't work out. And I'm wondering if Seth Latrell kind of saw that blueprint and was like, well, that's how we won with that. So that's kind of how it has to be our identity, right? And obviously he's not that type of quarterback. He has arm talent because obviously he came his baseball background, but it's not, he doesn't necessarily have the accuracy, the consistent accuracy to maybe be that type of guy that run that throws the you know, the, the, that runs basically the air raid style that they were running before or the air raid variation they're running before, I should say. Um, but he is somebody who can manage a game. And I don't use that as a pejorative. I use that as somebody who, I use that in terms of saying that he's somebody who can run a damn good offense, right? And he's not just going to be the focal point of an offense. And that's fine. There are only like 10 quarterbacks in college football that you want to be a focal point of the offense. They're probably playing power five football somewhere so i think I, I agree i think that they found something with what he does well um i would love and craven this is probably something for you i would love to figure out when that when that point where they realized that was with him right where they realized they can't do that so they moved their offensive coordinator from offensive line coach to quarterback coach midway through last year mm. and that's really helped austin on development to have the offensive coordinator and him in lockstep with each other yeah. all the time I think Austin Ani has a much better understanding of the offense. And then, frankly, I think North Texas coaching staff has a much better understanding of what Austin Ani can and can't do. Sure. Yeah. And, and a, lot of, a lot of what being a good coach is, it's not about what you know, it's what your players know and can execute. And we're seeing that with Max Duggan. I think it's, it's the perfect example of when you can figure out what a quarterback can't do and you ask them to stop doing any of that. We're not going to ask you to do any of that. Here's, what, here's the five things you do well. Let's concentrate and do those. That's what's happening with North Texas right now. And that's allowing Austin Ani to be a much different quarterback than the one we saw last year. Yep. All right. Let's move on to our final game of the week. This one was a little bit interesting, at least fun on Twitter. Uh, Ole Miss 31, Texas A&M 28. Look, for the first time in what, a year, two years, A&M scored more than 24 points, <laughs> which is insane to say for a, a high level college football team. Um Look, this one was fun to start off because, hey, look, they had a game plan that they came out and executed early. Connor Wigman got the start, looked really good, and then it kind of turned into the Jimbo stall offense for most of the game. And then they came out and scored again. So, look, if you're AM, if you're an AM fan, <clears throat> the only thing I would take from this game is I think Connor Wigman should start the rest of the year. And I think they have a quarterback who the Jimbo Fisher should absolutely work around and if they do make a hire work around the hire based off what he can do because connor wigman is a dude craven you were that was that was like the prime years of your recruiting beat you know what connor wigman possesses as a player and i think he flashed a little bit of everything in a game where again it was kind of like throw everything at the wall if you're AM and see what sticks and it almost paid off yeah, I mean, 28 of 44, 338 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. I mean, in an SEC game, it gets a pretty good, you know, nationally ranked Ole Miss team. They're right there. You know, they're three points away in a win. They score over 24 points against an FBS team. 
as you mentioned, for the first time in over a year. That's the first time an A&M quarterback has thrown for over 300 yards since Kellen Mond was on campus. Jeez. You know, and so yeah. I, I think if you're A&M and, and you, even if they limp to a finish, let's say A&M finishes six and six. Well, if you finish six and six and Connor Wigman looks like this and he's kind of a future star, you can hold on to that roster and you can add to it because there's sure. belief there. Right. If you go six and six and, and Connor Wigman doesn't look very good and you're still Max Johnson, Haynes King, you know, Connor Wigman transfer portal, then all of a sudden guys like Evan Stewart, Moose Muhammad, Donovan Green, they may start looking at the transfer portal. But now they know they have it and they may have already known this because they practice sure. with them all the time, but they know that now the coaching staff sees that that's the guy of the future. Like he is who that offense needs to be built around. And if you look at his weapons, like Devon A. Chain may be gone. He's a junior. But, you know, Evan Stewart's a freshman. Moose Muhammad's a sophomore. Donovan Green's a freshman. Like they have some skill position guys out there for Wigman to build around if that offensive line can come around. The bigger thing yesterday, and we talked about it on Wednesday, that running defense for AM is bad. It is not good, and it should be better with the amount of talent talent that they have there. Um, I know they're dealing with some injury stuff. Edrian Cooper hasn't been 100% at linebacker, and that's hurt them a lot. But you would think that 2022 and that 2021 defensive line group would be better already. I, I know that's asking a lot of underclassmen, but they're so highly touted. You expect more for them. Ole Miss ran for 390 yards, 6.2 carries, only threw it 20 times yesterday. If you can't stop the run, especially at home, and you just don't have much of a chance. And so kind of a, a good news, bad news for AM. I think they found their quarterback and they figured that stuff out, uh, but they still have plenty of concerns on that team. They're three and five and, and getting to six wins is going to be a chore. Yeah. I think one of the things that I'm also encouraged by is, because I agree with everything you said, the run defense should have been, you know, it, it. it's hard to say, like, because of how bad the offense has been, like, it's hard to say, like, man, that defense is kind of a big reason why they lost that game. Cause you know, they, it's hard to ask them to be perfect every single time. <laughs> but um, when you have, you know, again, we know what this offense is. We know the limitations of it. So like, we, we know that when the, when it, when they get 28 points, AM should hope to win that game. Right. And especially when you get that performance out of your freshman quarterback, you know, you kind of do, I don't know. The, we have such a high standard for that defense now that you can be, you can't afford to be disappointed if they give up, what was it 31, right? And you lose because you kind of know the, the handicaps you're going to work with. Now, also, one more thing if I'm Jimbo Fisher, we're talking, we will have an entire offseason to talk about, you know, offensive coordinators or play callers or whatever like that. The thing that <laughs> Connor Wigman showed all of that without using his legs, right? That's, I think, what was most impressive he is a dual threat quarterback. He is somebody who can run the ball. And I think a lot of people saw yesterday. He's like, Ooh, that's a, you know, he has a big arm. It's kind of like a, the, the typical toolsy quarterback, right? Big, big size, big arm can make a lot of throws. And he's like, no, this guy could also run. And so <laughs> I know Jimbo does not like to run his quarterbacks. I know Jimbo doesn't like to even play freshmen. I, I, I listen, you got to figure out a way to get this guy moving because you saw a little bit, a little bit hand hand tied behind his back that he was still succeeding yesterday. So again, you have Evan Stewart, like you mentioned, you have a bunch of guys who, if this, if Connor Wigman does not flash this, like you mentioned, could hop in the transfer portal and probably would, if they didn't, if, if Connor Wigman sat the whole season, they probably been like, well, why, you know, we're keeping this guy on the bench. Why would I stay here? You know? So I don't know. I think this was, I, 
a loss is a loss at AM. This season's a wash. And, you know, obviously it's it's just a bad season overall. But if you're AM, you're an AM fan right now, you're trying to get on, hold on to nuggets for next year and to build off of. And it's similar to the Hudson card Quinn Ewers thing, right? You'll take six and six if you realize you got a guy that can get you to 10 wins later on down the line. So um yep. so yeah. All righty, that does it for our games of the week. Let's open up the wide zone. And let's start with TCU 41, West Virginia 31. This one was a little testy, man. Um, I, t- I tweeted during the game, the Big 12 is reverting back to 2013 where nobody plays defense and everybody's just scoring and you got to score 40 points to win now. Because um, West Virginia, a team that we thought maybe midway through the year was pretty bad. Um, or not bad, but definitely like mediocre. Um, obviously in the past couple of weeks, they've shown to be pretty solid, um, in any other conference are probably pushing towards the top or at least battling towards the upper echelon, um, instead of battling at the bottom and TCU had to really keep its foot on the pedal because they wouldn't go away, man. JT Daniels finished with 275, but Max Duggan, 341, three touchdowns, one pick and Kendra Miller, man. I mean, 120 on the ground, 12 carries that TCU's offense is like the epitome of like perfect balance right now right they have a they have a deep backfield they have a quarterback playing out of his mind they have playmakers on the outside offensive lines incredible like they play every phase of offensive football pretty well and they needed it because it felt early on this one felt like one of those like I mean, to put it this way, Kansas State blew out Oklahoma State earlier or later that day. This felt like this could have been something not not to that extent, but like, a, oh, my God, TCU lost to West Virginia and they came out on top and they're still in the driver's seat in the Big 12. Home team West Virginia is a different beast. They've been really good at, at home this year. They beat Baylor. Um, they score a lot more points at home for whatever reason. Kendra Miller, man, I know we talk a lot about Max Duggan, Quentin Johnston. Miller is excellent. It hurts mm-hmm. my heart. He was almost at UTSA without a late offer for TCU. He was like committed to UTSA, was going to be there. Can you imagine that guy in that? I was about to say, that's a Gary, right Patterson. That's a Gary Patterson special right there. He's like, oh, there's a two-star and running back at Mount Enterprise. Yeah, give me that. Dude, he, he used to do that to TCU, like, or to UTSA every single cycle. Around November, he would, because UTSA used to run the 425. Exactly. Anyway, I'm about to go on a tangent. But so, Kendra Miller, awesome. Uh, that defense has been really good. You know, last year, that front seven was as bad as you could get. Mm-hmm. And they've been a lot better this year. West Virginia ran the ball 40 times on Saturday. They only averaged 3.9 uh, yards in attempt. TCU had three sacks. Uh, but that balance that they're able to have offensively is just dangerous. What I would say that concerns me about TCU is I, I'm not bought in on TCU national title contender stuff. Sure, I don't. Sure. I don't, I don't think that should even be a part of the discussion. Let's just go win the Big 12, right? Like, let's just worry about that. They've given themselves some wiggle room. They can lose a game and still be okay there. The slow starts are going to catch up to them eventually. Yeah. You know, West Virginia was up 7-0. They were up 14-7. Kansas State was up 28-10. Oklahoma State was up 14-0. Eventually, you're not going to be able to come back from that. Injuries aren't going to happen to the other team. Luck's going to run out. TCU's going to have to get better from the jump. Uh, but coaches talk a lot about the middle eight, and that's the four minutes leading into halftime and the four minutes leading out of halftime. TCU has been one of the best teams in the nation at that. They were good at that again yesterday, and you just can turn the momentum a lot going into halftime and then coming out of halftime. Uh, Sonny Dykes and that coaching staff is doing a great job. And for them, it's just survive in advance. Like, style points don't matter. 
it being pretty and all that kind of stuff doesn't matter. All they got to do is keep winning and their schedule's opening up a little bit. They're past the toughest part of their year. So, you know, I I think I'm going to have to start, stop doubting TCU because each week they keep proving me wrong. Yeah. I was about to say that. I mean, I know you said the, their goal shouldn't be, or their worry shouldn't be the playoff. And we talked about it a little bit in the midweek. I agree. Um, But Tuesday, remember we talked about it. Tuesday is that first rankings. It's going to come to them, right? That discussion's going to come yeah. to them. And I'm wondering how, this is the first time for Sonny Dykes too, right? This is the first time he's going to be managing national title. I don't want to say expectations, but national title talk, right? Like a lot of people around that program are going to be like, hey, because they could come out again. My biggest worry is that we come out after Tuesday night and you see TCU at number five, right? And you're like, ooh, they're all there. They're right there. Right. And all of a sudden that discussion happens. And because again, this rank, these rankings make no sense. They could just flip a coin and say, yeah, sure. TCU, they're three. I don't care whatever. Um, and so that's where the managing comes in, because like you said, their schedule is manageable, right? At, at the beginning of the year, we probably thought this was their toughest part of the schedule, but now it's looking like as, at least as far as the big 12 is concerned, as about as easy as you can get, maybe um, it's not easy any week, but you know, Texas tech, Texas, Baylor, Iowa state, you're past basically every ranked opponent you're going to play. Um, and so, and so, yeah, I mean, man, this team's fun. And early in the game, <laughs> we joked about it early in the game. I was like, Oh no, November sunny. Like <laughs> early in the game, I was like, please don't, please don't do this. And luckily Garrett Riley and that offense turned it on. And, and it was, it was good to go from there. To that point, Sonny Dykes is 29 and two in September and October in the last four seasons. Yeah. He's four and eight in November and afterwards. So, you know, that that's going to be the talking point for TCU is closing this year. And honestly, I think if they go two and two down the stretch, they probably still get into the Big 12 championship game. I was about to say, yeah, because um, that Kansas State win yesterday was insane. So moving on in the uh, wide zone, speaking of one results that uh, was eye turning, Houston 42, South Florida, USF 27. This one started off, I don't want to say this one was ever in, in, in doubt. Uh, this one started off, Houston jumped out early. USF kind of kept it close in the first quarter. Their freshman, I think they started a freshman. I don't know, but their backup quarterback looked pretty solid for like a little bit of the game. Um, I was a little bit concerned about Houston's defense for a little bit there because, um, of course, Gary Bahanna was out. He's out for the year. So I thought this would be a good game for them to kind of get back on track. And it, they kind of let up some things and they let – USF kind of hang around. Um, but offensively, Houston was crisp. Um, their bye week looks like it did them wonders because that's the reason why they were never really in doubt of winning this game. Clayton Tune, 31 of 37, 380, four touchdowns, no picks. Good to go, man. Um, they basically did all this with they, you know, Sean Carter came out, seven catches on seven targets, and Nathaniel Dell, nine catches on nine targets, 112. Like, I mean, this offense looks fine. And so they're very much in the thick of the AAC and the AAC kind of has a bunch of teams right now sitting at like one conference loss. Um, and so we're about to see this kind of play out as well. So another team we were worried about um, still very much in play for the conference. Yeah. I mean, uh, Nathaniel Dell has got nine touchdowns to zero interceptions over the last two games. He's completing 76% Clayton of his pa- Clayton tune, sorry, yeah. 76% of his passes are being completed since that idle week. So, uh, that offense really did get rejuvenated in the bye. Uh, you know, you mentioned Nathaniel Dell. The defense had three sacks, seven tackles for loss. 
And the margin of victory is getting bigger and bigger. We got to remember Houston's first three wins, two of them were in overtime and the other one was by one point, you know, so they had three wins by a combined six points uh, early in the season. Their last two wins have been by 18 points and 15 points. So they're starting to dominate teams. Things are starting to get a little bit easier. I talked about earlier in the year, how it felt like nothing was easy for Houston on the field, off the field, offensively, nothing was deep vertical. There wasn't any big plays. They were missing ultimate McCaskill. You know, they don't have as many sacks. The defense isn't making as much play. Special teams misses Marcus Jones. There's not, they're not getting scores um, from that way either. So it just felt like a team that had to do everything the hard way. The last two weeks, it seems like they're getting back to cruise control and they should. The American is there for the taking. You know, they're one of the better teams in the American. In my opinion, they should be able to run the table. SMU, where we'll talk about uh, a little bit, you know, they're down two quarterbacks possibly, possibly. So, uh, you know, it's all right there for Houston. You just got to put your you know, foot on the driver's seat and go get it. That Tulane loss doesn't look as bad as it did in the moment. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think if you're Houston, you feel good about how you're playing right now and you just keep the train rolling. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like we talked about them needing a buy more than anyone else just because how, like you mentioned, the the length of football games they were playing, nothing came easy. It seems like everything was, they were just straining in like every facet of the game. Uh, Clayton Toon obviously started off Started off poorly, like there's no, there was no, um, uh, no way of mincing. You know, I don't want to mince words. Like he was playing pretty bad at the beginning of the year. Looks like a totally new quarterback. Looks like the guy we thought he would. Um, and I wondered, you know, at least heading in before the bye week, I was, we, I don't know about you, but I kind of had a little bit of maybe retrospect on him, saying like, is he a guy that is that dude, right? It could be that dude, or is he somebody who just had a Nathaniel Dell to throw to and things like that? I think he's showing that. Maybe it's a little bit of column A, column B. He's not necessarily a dark horse Heisman type quarterback in the G5, but or the the uh, basically power five. But he's not somebody that's just relying on a star quarter, a star receiver either. He's helping other guys come out now, right? We're seeing all these other weapons around him. And credit to him, credit to Houston staff and Dana Holgerson for not asking him to do everything on this offense anymore because we know the running game was going to be a little bit uh, shot this year uh, due to injury and things like that. So I think we're seeing him turn back into the quarterback we thought he was. And I think it shows how important offensive line play is to quarterbacks. Sure. You sure. know, we, we look at this stuff in a vacuum sometimes and we're, we look at the box score, we look at the numbers and we're like, the quarterback's not playing very well. Like Baron Morton yesterday is a perfect example. Sure. Sure. Right, well, right. I mean, when you have guys in your face and you don't have any time to throw the ball, like, what do you do? You know, you, you, you get behind, you start pressing, you start forcing. And so the offensive line has been a lot better for Houston. They made a couple of personnel changes uh, during that open week. They got some guys healthier. Now they're, they're playing worse competition. And so he's got time. And when you have time, you can look like a really good quarterback when you don't have time. That's, that's what, you know, everybody in college, if you're a college starter at a level of Houston with time, you're excellent. Yeah, it's the the separation is how good you are when guys are coming at you. That's what makes superstars is how good they are with pressure. Clayton Toon is a good college quarterback. He's not a great one, and so pressure is going to dictate his success level. They have when when he when he has a clean pocket, Houston's been good. When the offensive line has struggled, he's looked bad, and so I, I think those things are probably you know causality. Yep, definitely. All righty, moving on to the other team in Houston that's not going so hot right now charlotte 56 rice 23 listen when i talked about the new coach bump for charlotte right i talked about kind of the good vibes going on at charlotte since departing from will healy i didn't mean that they would 
kick Rice's ass. Like, that's not what I thought would happen here. But man, I don't. There was one tweet I was trying to find it from the roost yesterday that kind of like, here we go. Uh, it's from the roost. I, 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 didn't, I didn't watch this game and I just, I was just scrolling Twitter and our good friends at the roost were uh, live tweeting the game. And I just saw uh, Charlotte hits a 30 yard bomb on fourth and inches. And then the next tweet was touchdown Charlotte. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was like, what is happening in this game? And yeah, man, what, what the hell was this? Like, Look, Craven, to your to your credit, I'll let you go on this, right? You called that spread being way too much for a team that had never managed expectations in terms of dominating a team. And I was a little wary of it because of because of the new coach bump that teams usually get. I didn't expect this. I didn't expect this either. Although it did, it's just hard when you're expected to do something you've never been expected to do before. Yeah. You know, like you're always the underdog. It's always nobody believes in us. You always see the lines and, and you know, you hear everybody talking. It's like, we're supposed to lose this game. We're going to go prove them wrong. It's different when you just have to go win a game you're supposed to win. And, you know, you would think Rice would have more to play for for Charlotte. But as we talked about on that Wednesday show, sometimes when dad leaves, you know, things just loosen up and you get a little, you have more fun. You want to play for each other. Uh, you get to enjoy yourself a little bit more. Charlotte outscored Rice 42 to three in the second and third quarters combined, just crushed them in the middle part of this game. Charlotte was 17 of 20 through the air. They averaged 13.8 yards of completion. Rice was at 6.6. Like that's all we need to know. Like how that Rice secondary I have been touting as pretty good all year. They were torched yesterday. Looked really bad. That defense allowed 514 yards. Rice is always going to be the team that scores in the 20s. That's why I said that line was out of whack, that there was no way Rice was going to score enough points to beat a team by 17 points. However, I thought the defense would hold Charlotte to 17 points this or so, and they'd win a close 24 to 17 type ugly football game. Instead, that Rice defense had its worst performance of the year. And all of a sudden, what looked like going into UTEP next week to lock up a sixth win and get to bowl eligible. Now you look at the schedule and you're like, man, you know, Rice may have lost its chance to get there. They're going to have to find two wins over the last four. It starts on Thursday against UTEP for two teams that just have to. We'll talk about UTEP in a second. Two teams that have to win that game to keep their postseason eligibility alive. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, Gameonpaper.com does a really good metric where they measure what they call the middle eight plays, which are last four of the second half, first four of the or last four of the first half, first four of the second half. And Charlotte had 16 middle eight plays. Rice had six. And they had, I'm trying to figure out, they had seven successful pass attempts for Charlotte, four successful rushes for Charlotte, one successful successful rush for Rice, no successful passes for Rice. And so again, when you look at the, what, what I like, I like to use the middle eight because it's how you head into the halftime and how you come out with adjustments, right? It's that perfect little encapsulation of, of, of a game in some ways. And Rice just completely fumbled that when it came out, when they came out the second half, when they went into halftime, it looked like a team that was shell-shocked a little bit. It's like, oh man, like this isn't a team that's rolling over, right? The way they play, they probably, I don't say they expected them to roll over, but the way Rice plays and the physicality that they play with, they probably wondered like, okay, yeah, once we'll hit them a couple times, they'll be like, ah, this season's done, whatever. Charlotte's like, nah, man, we're, we're having fun now, right? Like you mentioned, or I talked about in the middle of the, the, the week where the interim coach said, yeah, we're, we're switching some things around at practice. The guys have taken, uh, taken well to it. Like that's been the vibe at Charlotte all week was like, oh man, like this, this team's having fun again. And it's like, oh, that's, 
that's weird, right? The coach leaves and like you mentioned, dad leaves and all of a sudden everybody's having fun. So it's like, that's not a team that's going to lie down anymore. Um, so yeah, like you mentioned, things get a lot more complicated now because this was one of the games where you kind of penciled in Rice as a favorite. Now you're kind of like, all right, you're kind of running out of those games now. All right, now let's get to some somberish news. Um, so SMU 45, Tulsa 34. Um, obviously, you know, Mustangs win, but there's a, there's a big but here. You lose Preston Stone for the year. Joe Hoyt tweeted out that he, uh, what was the injury? I forget. He had a sling. I know that. But I Collarbone. Collarbone. So now SMU, okay. This is kind of a season kind of on the, I don't say on the rocks. It's just like a, a kind of an up and down season. You thought you found the thing that you needed maybe to, to, to kind of have a life raft with Preston Stone. Okay, cool. Here's the future right here. Still is the future. You know, he'll come back next year, but all right. Now Kevin Henry Jennings comes in. Big fan of Kevin Henry Jennings, right? Love that South Oak Cliff team. Thought he, I think he can be developed into a really good quarterback. But now you're tossing him in to an AAC race with Houston coming up in, a, in, you know, in a few. And man, I don't know. I mean, there's not much to take from this game, uh, in my opinion, just because play, he played well uh, when he came in. Eleven of uh, eight of eleven, ninety-five yards, touchdown, no, pick, uh, no picks. Um, but it's a lot of what happened after the game and the news that came in after the game with uh, Preston Stone, in my opinion. Yeah, and, you know, and it's again another SMU struggled to play four quarters. Tulsa won that fourth quarter, fourteen to zero. So I know that's something Rhett Lashley's gonna going to talk to his team about is just finishing. The good news for SMU is, is Tanner Morakai was really close to getting back from concussion protocol. I'd mm -hmm. imagine he's back by the Houston game, and so he'll be the starter. He just hadn't played all that well leading into the concussion thing. You wondered if he was going to get that job back. Now he will right. for sure. I would imagine. Uh, so that that's at least good news for SMU. Uh, but yeah, you, you know, I'm with you. You don't take a whole lot from yesterday's game. They should have beat Tulsa. I do think it's a good thing you go and you win on the road. You know, that's another sure. thing they had kind of struggled with this year. When you're a first year coaching staff, I think you're just trying to, you know, check off boxes like win, a, win an important home game, win on the road, play four quarter. You know, you're just trying to trying to figure some stuff out, build some momentum within that program. So, you know, a win's better than a loss, but but like you said, I, it does feel like the talking points are more negative than positive for SMU after a win. More, I guess, more unfortunate, more so than negative, just with the injury stuff, because it did look like Preston Stone was about to emerge into a guy that we thought he was going to be coming out of high school. And that's always an exciting thing when you kind of see, a, see a, a person kind of step into that limelight, take advantage and and fulfill some of the promise that they had. So feel bad for Preston Stone, but as you mentioned, you know, he'll be back for the start of next year. And I imagine he's the starter going into 2023. Yep. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned, you mentioned the defense a little bit. I need like, man, this defense should have, they were the reason why Tulsa did not, uh, was not closed out of this game, right? They should have absolutely, they were down what, three scores in the fourth quarter and like Tulsa hits two quick scores and is like, all right, what's happening here. Right. Like yeah. you realize you have a freshman quarterback, so you can't ask him to keep the drives going necessarily. You should have a defense that can rely on itself to not you. They played well, most of the game. And so like, that's why those, those, uh, those last couple of drives are very discouraging is because it's like, all right, you guys have held your own against this team. And then all of a sudden you let two big passes. One of them, was like an awful broken, or I don't say broken coverage, but like two defenders were like in the vicinity of the ball, just completely whiffed on it. And they just broke free for a touchdown. So it's like, all right, like 
this is the wrong time to this is the wrong time to collapse on yourselves right here so um you kind of hope those maybe did the same thing to him yeah that's true that's a good that's a good point too yeah that's yeah i'm yeah this is it's a problem right and if you're especially if you have uncertainty at quarterback right and if tanner mordecai is the guy but if he still plays like he's been like he was playing when he got benched like can you really rely on him to go toe for toe if a team makes a surge like this right so um that's something to definitely keep an eye on all right our last game of the week is our last game yes it is okay middle tennessee 24 utep 13 um yeah man this this team i don't know um (sighs) miners what's happening man what what's going on mike what's going on with this team they just don't have the dudes, you know, sometimes yeah. it's as simple as that, right? Like this offense was super explosive last, last year. And, and most of it's the same. The quarterbacks, the same four out of the five offensive linemen are the same two uh, running backs are the same tight ends, the same. The only difference is they do not have Jacob Cowing and Justin Garrett. And I apologize to Jacob Cowing. I know he's not listening to this podcast, but I apologize to Jacob Cowing for thinking he was only a great G5 wide receiver. I, I did know. not he's, know he's, he's playing that in the he was like year. a, yeah, I didn't know he was like a top two round NFL draft pick, probably who's like a starter in the slot for somebody as a rookie or something like that. Dude's a baller. Um, and without those two guys, Gavin Hardison has become just an average Joe. And, and so, uh, and that offense just does not have any explosiveness to it at all. And when you cannot threaten deep, this is funny because UTEP used to be the team that threw deep too often. And we were begging them to, to kind of lay off of that and have an intermediate short passing game. But now you watch this game and it's like middle Tennessee has nine guys in the box. Cause they don't care. They don't worry at all about yeah. the downfield threat. And so, um, just not a good enough team to overcome any deficits. We saw them fall behind 10-0 to La Tech and not be able to catch up. They fell 10-0, fell behind 10-0 after the first quarter again at home to Middle Tennessee, and they're just not built to do that. They made it back to 17-13 with 7:30 left in the game, but then Middle Tennessee hits a 75-yard touchdown pass on the next drive to make it a two-possession game, and so you know UTEP just keeps digging these holes and they're not able to get out of them. Uh, that game, we talked about it with Rice, that game on Thursday at Rice becomes almost a bowl game eliminator for these two programs. Yeah, and I'm wondering, like, I think Bloomgren's safe because of obviously the the stipulations with with what he has going on. But, like, you kind of wonder, like, at least for next year, I think both are safe. But you kind of wonder, Dana Demel was the god, you know, of El Paso last year. And, like, if they miss a bowl, does next year turn into, like, all right, what's kind of happening here, right? Do you need to get back to a bowl or something to kind of make that up? I don't know. You know, the expectations are so weird for both those programs because of how hard it is to win. But if you follow up this year or last year with like five wins, right? Like that becomes like, all right, like what it, what is kind of the the trajectory of this program? Because you saw, and to me, it for me, it becomes frustrating when you look at the past couple of times UTEP's filled up the stadium. Right. I think that's like a good encapsulation of the frustration. Right. You have a fan base there that's hungry for success and you've blown both or every attempt that they filled the stadium with a big spotlight on you. And I don't want to say that alone is going to get Dana Dimmel fired. That's not. I think he's fine. I think he's fine for next year. But when you just talk about the trajectory of the program, you kind of want those spotlight games to be big events where you're in the game. Right. And if you're if you can't win at home against Middle Tennessee, like, okay, then you start to have questions about, okay, you got us to point A, but can you get us to point B, right? There's kind of, there. I like to, in the NBA especially, 
I like to use the idea of like the coach that can build, then there's the coach that can take you from building and rebuilding to, to where you want to be. Right. And I think Dana Dimmel's done a good job of taking them from A to, you know, from to point A, but I don't know, there are games like this and then games like UTSA and then games like UNT at the beginning of the year where you're just like, is, is that step a little too far for this program right now? I don't know. Um, by the way, I think what you, I think what UTEP would say is that those are American conference teams and they're not going to have to play against that kind of stuff as sure. much anymore. And sure. so I say, we, we let's, let's see what UTEP is in the new look conference USA. And then we'll yeah. judge Dana Dimmel and stop me if you've heard this sure. before, but an athletic director bargained against himself and gave an extension to him right after a bowl game when he didn't need to, you know? And so yeah. they kind of locked themselves into more years of Dana Dimmel. But I do think, you know, when I've been out there and I've seen, I was out there to see the UTSA game and the North Texas game and in the warmups, I remember looking at Mallory on at, when they were playing North Texas, when they were warming up on the sideline and being like, oh, UTEP's in trouble. Because they're just not as big. They're, not they're big, just not yeah. big enough to deal with those guys. Maybe that becomes a little bit more even in Conference USA and they have a, they have a chance there, except for maybe Liberty, who's just going to buy the, the league and championships right. in that Basically. way. Basically, yeah. That's a good point. Um, but yeah, I mean, still, it'll be interesting to watch both those programs going forward. By the way, UTEP, um, even last year, they were a running team that couldn't run. Like <laughs> we talked about the big plays they wanted to dial up down the field, but that was because they were also in like third and long a lot that they had to like throw. So I don't know. That's another thing that's going to be bothering me is like they're a running team that has not been able to run the ball since Dana Dimmel really got there. So um, that's going to be something that I'm kind of watching if they make a change there in the off season. Um, I would not be shocked. I think they've done fine, but I do think there's something more there consistently that they maybe want to want to get to. All right, that'll do it for us. Uh, let's see, Texas, UTSA, and Texas State were all on buys. Oh, thank God Texas State was on a buy. I couldn't deal with any more <laughs> anymore there. Um, <laughs> I didn't have the mental capacity to watch a Texas State game yesterday, so I think I was good. Um, but uh, yeah, Craven, drive safe, buddy, and we will talk to you guys Wednesday. Uh, let's see, you're heading right, right after this, Craven. Where are you heading next week? I am going – oh, so next week is going to be awesome. So oh. UTEP plays Rice on Thursday. Yes. Then Texas Tech plays TCU at 11 o'clock on <laughs> Saturday. Woo. And then SMU plays Houston at 6 o'clock on Saturday night. Oh, my goodness. We are going to see if we can hit half of the FBS teams in a three-day period in week 10. So we're going we're gonna to find out if that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> i love that that's awesome all righty so there you hear mike craven's gonna try to do the, the triple header over the weekend yeah. so that i need help i need help i got a problem <laughs> i got a problem i'll be at, i think a... i think i'll be at that north texas game next uh this saturday because it's our it's our homecoming so i got that one covered for you <laughs> Man, we're seven out of the fbs right now no, just, now all right ish where are you going we, are you going to texas yeah, state <laughs> now if we can convince ish to go work on a saturday we'll be all right <laughs> Listen, hold on. I got to figure out where Texas State's playing. Oh, they're playing in Monroe. I am not going to Monroe. I am not. <laughs> I'll split that cost with Dave Campbell's just to get Ish to Monroe for Texas State. I'll flip the bill. I'll fly him there. I went there once when I was the beat writer, and I will never go again. <laughs> that, is, that, is a, that is a town you go to for the football game, and then you leave. So that's why you look, took this job. So you never had to go back to Monroe again. Exactly. <laughs> well, 
But while while we're crapping on Monroe, uh, usually when I go to a game, and usually this is high school, college, anywhere, I go to like a local food spot, right? It was like anytime I went anywhere, I was like, hey, what's a local good food spot? I went to Schlotsky's when I went to Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, if that tells you I'm anything. Not, I'm not. I'm just no. That's <laughs> funny. Monroe fans, I'm so sorry, but yeah, that's it's, it's not great. I have I knew a coworker from Monroe, and she said, "Stay in West Monroe. Don't go to Monroe." So <laughs> yeah, so I'll take that as a green flag to to mess with Monroe a little bit. Anyway, that'll do it for us this week. Reminder: We have interviewed twelve of the eventual thirteen FBS head coaches. Shout out Sam Houston State. And shout out the coaches that we're getting on twice now before Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo, we have somebody who covered Connor Wigman as a recruit. Give us a call, please. We know what we're talking about. And always go Rutgers. Mm-hmm.